0: Hey, my friend, it's Julie Clough here, your life and grief coach. Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast. I'm thrilled to bring you uplifting grief support and hope for rebuilding your life one small step at a time. Our mission is to offer enduring hope, loving compassion, skilled support, and effective steps to healing after loss. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 149. Grief is a season. I have to admit that this the last couple, two or three days, I have felt so much heavy emotion. I'm just feeling the shifts in the world right now. And I feel like we're all being called to a higher level of healing we can see the pain in the world. We can see the effects of that pain. And it's, it's heavy. It really is heavy. And when we're grieving, we often hear, we only have two options. And the first is to just get over it. And the second is to grieve forever. And those are our two options. That's what it feels like because we have people saying, just get over it. And so we feel pressured, just get over it, which really just turns out to be, we hide, we hide our grief. And the other is to grieve forever and just, and to, to really get very connected to the reason why we are grieving, very connected to I'm in pain because this happened. Therefore I'm in pain. And if you're not going to acknowledge my pain, I'm going to identify with that pain so heavily that I have to grieve forever, but it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for us to realize that neither of these options are ideal or helpful. And so we find ourselves searching for a third option because grief truly is a season. And just like the long, dreary days of winter, which we're just coming out of in the United States, the season of grief seems that it will never end. The winters seem like they will never end, especially to this Florida girl that's not used to having long, dreary days of winter. In the middle of our grief, it feels dark, lonesome, heavy. And just as winter begs us to hope for spring, grief encourages us to hope for joy again. Grief begs us to grow and come to a higher level of understanding of ourselves, our world, and our beliefs. And that's what it takes. The third option in grief is choosing growth. It's choosing healing through growth, and healing takes time. Growth takes time, it takes time and effort. It's not just time, it's the effort. It doesn't happen by accident, it really truly doesn't happen by accident. A few years ago, I was working with a young mom who had experienced a stillbirth. She and her husband wanted more children. And so the fear of going into a pregnancy again was a lot. And I have this young friend who is going through that right now. She is on Instagram and has a large following, this other person that I'm talking about. And she was just expressing how she had gone through this miscarriage. And it was very public because she publicized her pregnancy. And then she went through a miscarriage and I have so much respect for her vulnerability and sharing the pain of this miscarriage and sharing the weird feelings and the mix of feelings that she has right now, because she does want to have another child and it's scary. It's scary. And she talked about fearing that she was going to go into this pregnancy and not be as excited because she had so much excitement at the beginning of her last pregnancy. And then now the excitement of pregnancy is overshadowed by the worry of another loss. And she expressed all of that. But this mom that I was working with, she did become pregnant again She did go through another pregnancy and we worked together during that time on the fear that she was experiencing. And one day she said to me, She said, What if this pregnancy ends in a stillbirth also? What if that happens? And I said, If that happens, you will grieve for a season. And when we met again, she told me, how much that had resonated with her when she realized that the fear was really that what was going to happen was that she was going to grieve for a season and it gave her some peace. If this happens again, I'll grieve for a season, but it doesn't have to last forever And I think that's a huge fear that we have. I see this all the time that we just fear that we're going to grieve forever, but then we don't see options. If you think about the light at the end of a tunnel, right? We talk about in the middle of the tunnel, it is dark. And the only way to get through the tunnel is to step, take steps and in the middle of the tunnel, we're it's so dark, we're not sure we're going the right direction, we're not sure if it's going to lead to light, we're not like there's so much uncertainty. But as as we continue to take steps through that tunnel, and having just gone through a tunnel when we were in Mexico at the beginning of March, I can really appreciate this. And we had a guide. We had a guide. We had somebody who knew the tunnel. That's what I hope that you feel in this space, on this podcast, in the True Hope Club. I hope that you feel that I am a guide, that I am taking you through that dark tunnel. So when we were going through this cave, you know, entered in one section and then walking through, hiking through, this tunnel, this cave in Mexico, there was one spot where the, the water was deeper. So that this, this cave had water in it and we were floating in the water and our guide invited us to turn our lights off and experience just the silence and the darkness of a cave. And so we turned our lights off and we floated in this water with absolutely no ability to see anything because there was no light. We could hear each other's voices and we probably had the lights out for maybe two minutes. But when we turned the lights back on, the guide said, your eyes will never adjust because there is no light to adjust to. So at night, when we turn the lights out, our eyes adjust, and you know, our eyes dilate so that we can take in more light. And we take in that light and we're able to see more because there is some level of light. But in a dark cave where there is no light, in a dark tunnel where there is no light, our eyes can't adjust. And so we are reliant on a guide. We're reliant on someone who's been there over and over again, who can lead us safely through. So the third option is to choose, to choose growth, to follow a guide, to be hopeful. I want to mention that there's a new diagnosis that has been created. It's called the prolonged grief disorder. It's a new diagnosis in the DSM slash five, which is basically a manual of diagnoses that can be used to submit insurance claims. Okay. I used to work in the medical industry. So I'm familiar with these diagnostic settings, if you will, like these diagnostic process that allows them to put a medical phenomenon into a category so it can be communicated to the insurance companies for reimbursement. And that's how it works. And and it's important for us to understand what is happening when we talk about diagnoses, it really, the diagnosis is a way of communicating. And so when we've received a diagnosis, a lot of times we then we refer to the experts and we say, okay, what do I do next? Because now we have a diagnosis, and really the diagnosis again i just want to reiterate is just a way for the medical community and the insurance companies to talk for the medical community if you know if we're working with doctors to be able to to communicate from doctor to doctor what has already been discovered and i've talked before about the dangers of labels and the dangers of how we see and think about these labels. And so I think it's very, very important that if you hear about this new diagnosis, that you understand the thought process behind it and why it's there and how it doesn't mean anything specifically about you. I hope that you hear that. So this new diagnosis is called the prolonged grief disorder. PGD in short. And there was an article in the New York Times this week called How Long Should It Take to Grieve? Psychiatry Has Come Up With an Answer. Just the title alone just gets me. It just gets me. Because by giving people a time limit, we're encouraging people to hide it further that that's my fear there was a section of this article that said throughout that time so in the 90s i guess there was a a movement to create a diagnosis specifically around grief and i read another uh therapist who talked about the dangers of this and and was concerned about it and said there's already Terms there's already diagnoses that can be used for therapy to be given to patients and to be able to claim those. She didn't love the fact that they had now created a disorder around grief. And so this other therapist expressed this concern. So there's been this battle since the 90s between those that felt that a diagnosis or a disorder wasn't necessary to treat grief in therapy and this camp that said that we need this diagnosis, we need this disorder to be be categorized, to be stated. So in this New York Times article, and I'm going to read just a portion of this article to you, it says, throughout that time, critics of the idea have argued vigorously against categorizing grief as a mental disorder, saying that the designation risks pathologizing, Uh, why can I say that correctly? Pathologizing (laughs) a fundamental aspect of the human experience. They warn that there will be false positives, grieving people told by doctors that they have mental illnesses when they are actually emerging slowly but naturally from their losses. And they fear grief will be seen as a growth market by drug companies that will try to persuade the public that they need medical treatment to emerge from mourning. In fact, and, you know, unquote, There, Just inserting this in the article, they even talk about the drug companies are already on this, are already trying to create drugs to help with this. And if you read anything by Dr. Martin Seligman, he, in his book, Flourish, he talks about the idea that drugs for depression are not healing. They're not curative. They are just a treatment, but they're not curing anything. Much like, you know, we'll take, I don't know, we'll take Tylenol or um, something for a headache. We're not curing the underlying cause of the headache. We're just masking the pain. But at any rate, going on to the article, there's a quote from, so just starting in on the article again. I completely, utterly disagree that grief is a mental illness, said Joanne Cacciatore, an associate professor of social work at Arizona State University who has published widely on grief and who operates the Sela Care Farm, a retreat for bereaved people when someone who is a quote unquote expert tells us we are disordered and we are feeling very vulnerable and feeling overwhelmed, we no longer trust ourselves and our emotions. Dr. Cacciatore said to me, that is an incredibly dangerous move and short-sighted. I completely agree with Dr. Cacciatore And in fact, I went to go look into her a little further, and I found that she had posted on Facebook, she says, I want to reply to each of you, but my inbox has received almost 1,000 emails since the article ran, and I'm just overwhelmed trying to manage it. I admit being discouraged. I wish they'd have given more time to the rival hypothesis around grief. I wish they'd have talked more about my concerns that like depression, PGD would be overused by fearful and avoidant therapists, many of whom have had no real training in helping those suffering life's most painful losses. I wish many things and I'm feeling sad and scared for grieving people today and those in five and 10 years who will face these emotional colonizers and noble liars. I hate this, unquote. That is really strong language around what is happening around grief. And it speaks to what I have seen too. And I can only think of, and just thinking specifically about people who have lost a child, I can only think of one person. And honestly, that's probably not even true who has overcome their grief after the loss of a child within a year. I work with very healthy people who are still significantly impacted by their grief for months and years after their loss. And to say that they have a mental illness is short-sighted. What they're lacking is tools and skills, not health. I'm reminded of my daughter. She was in elementary school and the school taught primarily the sight word method. So there's different, you know, having homeschooled and studied um, how to teach reading and so forth. There's different camps of, of teaching reading. And one is that kids learn by sight words. And the other is that we need to teach phonics. Phonics is the mechanics of reading. Phonics is E is E and, and the long E is E, right? The short E is E and the long E is E. And so, and so they, you know, they look at a word and they sound it out. That's phonics. Okay. So when my daughter was in school in, in early elementary school, They tested her for phonics and she didn't do well. And I looked at it and I thought, they're not teaching phonics. I found that so interesting. They were not teaching phonics. They were teaching sight words. They were teaching repetitive learning by seeing words over and over again and knowing what those words are, which is fine. But they were testing on phonics and then they were diagnosing a problem based on the kids not knowing phonics, but that's not what they were being taught on. We're not giving people tools for healing, and yet we're saying there's something wrong with them if they don't heal. That feels crazy to me. I have had several therapists, and this is anecdotal, but I've had several therapists express to me that they have few, if little, tools to help patients deal with grief. I've had them share that with me. I've had people tell me that. I've had an instructor who was teaching a grief class who expressed to our group that she was so frustrated in her practice because so many people were coming for grief and she didn't have the tools. And so she had to go outside of what she had been taught to find tools to help people with grief. We're encouraging people to hide their grief by creating a diagnosis around it and saying that it's a disorder instead of this is a natural part of life that we will all face. We will all face. We will all face loss and the pain of grief. And we all have a choice. We have a choice to believe that we can somehow just get over it and become very frustrated and bitter because we can't just get over it. We have a choice of believing that we have to grieve forever and and being stuck in that place of sadness forever because we believe that that's our only option. Or we have the choice of facing our grief and learning about the tools of healing and building the skills of healing. Those are our choices. And here at Build a Life After Loss, I encourage you. I encourage you with all my heart and soul to seek the tools of healing, to implement the tools of healing, to build the skills, to be compassionate with yourself and others who are grieving. I truly, truly believe in you I believe in your ability to move through the season of grief, to listen to grief, which is begging you to learn and grow and come to a higher understanding. I remember how hard and lonely my journey was through grief. I remember being in that dark cave. I remember looking for a guide, somebody who could help me so that I could see and know what the steps were and where to go. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I developed the True Hope Club. And if you haven't already, I invite you to join the True Hope Club free for two weeks. Try it out. See what you think. Come join us. We have another coaching call by the time this goes live, it will be the night of, but we have one on the 23rd and we have one on the 31st in the True Hope Club. I hope you will join us. It's free. Come in, see what you think, ask your questions, get the coaching that you need, learn the skills of healing. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. Have a wonderful week. Remember, I believe in you. I really do. I believe in your ability to heal. Love you. Bye.